Hey, my name is Akash Thakar, and this is Sound Business. This is the podcast where we dive into the mindsets and methods of some of the top musicians, sound designers, or audio creators in the world. We're going to interview everyone from plug-in makers, performing musicians, video game composers, and everything in between, and learn how they run a successful business and how they're making a killer living in the world of music and sound. My hope with this podcast is that you can be exposed to the many myriad different ways there are to make a killer living in the world of music and sound, and help you realize that there's no one right way to get to the top. And with that, let's get into the episode. My guest today is Joy Niao, who's an award-winning composer based in Los Angeles. Joy has worked on a ton of projects, including the animated short Blush, Disney's experimental animation series Short Circuit, Cobra Kai, What Remains of Edith Finch, and many others. In this episode, we talk about how she grew up in rural Malaysia, made her way to Shanghai, China, and eventually Boston to study at the Berklee College of Music. We also talk about how she got into composition from her early days as a classical pianist, how her first gigs came about after she moved to LA, and much more. So without further ado, let's get into the interview with Joy Niao. So one thing I know is that we both went to Berkeley at different times, and you majored in film scoring, had a minor in video game scoring. But before that phase of things, before you got into the actual kind of formal learning at college, I'm curious how you transitioned from something like classical piano and improvising on it to actually starting to learn to compose. Yeah, so I did start my musical journey by playing classical piano since age six, and practice all the classical repertoires like Mozart, Beethoven, all that. I, I did some like piano exams and all that. But while I was doing all those, I grew a love for improvising on the piano. And I think I was very inspired by movies, honestly, like movie soundtracks, Miyazaki films or Disney Pixar films, how memorable the soundtrack is and how the soundtrack just really complements what's going on at, on screen. And like, if I haven't seen a film for a long time, but, but when I rewatch it, it feels like the music almost acts like a friend and is like guiding you through the emotions of the characters. And I find that so fascinating how it just acts kind of like a language to communicate with others. And from that, I was just curious, like what it's like. And I was like a very emotional kid and I needed somewhere to express myself. So I just started to improvise on the piano. And I was like, doing that a lot in school with there's like an auditorium with a grand piano there and I one time a teacher came in and she heard me just playing random things and she's like I think you should try composing because feels like you are doing something with your improvising stuff so that got me interested and I also really love playing um, in the orchestras so that just really inspired me to like pursue something that I can do both music but also working with people as well. Now I'm curious what that kind of initial foray looked like after you started getting that bug when you people told you oh you should start to compose how did that work were you just improvising were you actually learning to write stuff down how did that first step look like yeah so at first i started with just piano we didn't learn any music tech in high school but we did learn sibelius so i actually first started learning how to write for orchestra on Sibelius and just play around with it. And it's like the MIDI sounds weren't that great that time, but it was just like a way for like, okay, cool. I'm getting my feet, just testing the waters kind of thing. So I started with that first. And then when I went to Berkeley, that's when we got a chance to like start arranging and start 
composing for maybe a chamber orchestra or a few players and gradually learning orchestration and all that. So it was a very gradual thing, but I'm, I was glad that we still had some tools in the earlier days to learn some basic arranging through Sibelius. But yeah, it's, it's cool how, how far technology has come and now you can learn anything on YouTube <laughs> right? or like you can just teach yourself. And it's really cool that there's just different ways to express yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm curious because you uh, came from much further away than a lot of people do when it comes to coming to an American music school. You know, a lot of people who go there tend to come from like New York, LA, Chicago, the big cities in the US, but you came from Malaysia and then you grew up in Shanghai. So I'm curious about that kind of emotional transition when it came from coming from all the way over there to the US to study in a brand new school. Was it easy? Was it difficult? What was that going to Boston like? Yeah, so I... My hometown is in Malaysia, and we come actually from a very rural village, actually. And my family wanted me to learn English and have a better education. So I did spend a lot of my teenage life in China. So I was actually pretty used to moving around a lot, like going back and forth between China and Malaysia. That did create a huge feeling of longing, I guess, like a feeling like in between two different cultures sometimes. But then so when I came to America, I did still feel like, okay, so I'm still searching for that place where I belong. And as cheesy and corny as it sounds, Berkeley, to me, especially the film scoring department, really felt like I found my community because as composers, we need to be emotional. We need to wear our heart on our sleeves to understand the story and the characters. And when I went to the film scoring department, it felt like so many like-minded individuals just wanting to tell stories and help bring all these characters to life. And that was really cool. So it was quite therapeutic where I really felt that I found a tribe where like my people, where we all just love music. We love to work together. We love to help tell stories. So it was actually one of the best decisions that I feel like I made. Amazing. Now, I'm wondering while you were there, kind of was there a moment there that made you realize like, okay, yeah, I can do this? Or was it the sort of thing where you were like, I don't know how I can make a living off of this crazy music thing? I'm wondering where you were, or maybe it was all of the above. Yeah, well, the film scoring department was very supportive, but there was two particular classes where I was super proud to be part of. Like One of them is the scoring for silent film. Another one is advanced orchestration. And both of those two classes, you need to apply to get in. And the I was very lucky to be chosen. And that those two classes were very intensive, where we got to work with the Boston Symphony Orchestra. And Keith Lockhart was the conductor, we got our music played at the Boston Symphony Hall. And that was just insane. Like I never written to hear like a 60 piece orchestra playing our music. So when that experience happened, I kind of felt like maybe I can do this. Like it kind of gave me a little bit of confidence boost that I'm like very excited and I'm very passionate to do this and I would do whatever to make it work. So that was kind of where I was at. I had a great support with all the faculty there. Straight to LA. <laughs> Yeah, straight to LA. And um, as as you know, from coming from Berkeley too, that Berkeley has a pretty good uh, alumni network. So before I came to LA, I already started applying for internships. And the first internship I applied to, I ended up becoming an assistant for a year. 
I'm always someone that kind of needs a plan. So I was very lucky that at least I had something lined up before I moved here. And I'm curious then that you landed that kind of assistant role, which is common in the in the film industry to start in that assistantship position. And I think a lot of people think that when they get into these assistantship positions, they're like, all right, I'm just going to write music all day, every day, and no one's going to talk to me, and it's going to be great and easy. <laughs> but I want to hear from you what it's actually like. <laughs> yeah, I know. That was kind of the fantasy, though, which is fine. I mean, we, we got to learn the skills of like how to conduct ourselves as a composer, like how to deliver our sessions to the mix score, and how do you handle yourself in front of an orchestra, and all that's great. But when we first moved here, a lot of the assistantships weren't exactly that like you said because we're there to support the main composer and it takes a huge village for the score to be composed and then recorded mixed and all the way to the sound stage and it's all that in between that process that i feel that you can't learn that in school because you just have to be here to experience it so a lot of those tasks by being an assistant at least when i was an assistant was like MIDI mock-ups or like cue conforming revisions, mix prep, like cleaning up the stems, editing the stems, like communicating with the mixer, communicating with the orchestrator, getting the stuff delivered so they can orchestrate and then getting all those files back and deliver it to the recording studio. So there's just a lot of in-between work that we didn't know, but it's still essential because it really does take so many people to get a score across but that was a really cool experience because it i felt like it was like a another college course just by working like in that kind of environment i got to work with different teams and everyone has different ways of working so just by like observing and learning for everyone's process you kind of start developing your own way of what works for you so to me it was a very valuable education you mentioned something uh, several times, which was communication. And I think that's something that gets glossed over a lot in what we do. So I want to hear it from you. What kind of communication is important from the client, from the composers you're working for, and all the everything in between? Yeah, definitely communication is key when you're working with anybody in, in any capacity, whether it's with the composer you're working for, your additional writers, your music editor, your orchestrator, your uh, mixer, everybody. It all takes like a really good attitude. And I think a key in a lot of it is you have to be prepared, not only like your tech skills, but you also have to have people skills. It's being dependable, having a positive spirit, being a go-getter, a problem solver, you need to think quick on your feet and being able to handle different situations that come in a very high-paced industry. It's all about people. It's all about how do you communicate with your team and how do you make it a positive environment so everyone wants to be at work and are very passionate to see this score through. So that, to me, it translates within the music team, but also to your clients, to everybody that you meet, the players, the mixers, the editors, the writers, we all want to see this story come to life. So having a really good collaborative spirit to me is like very essential to succeed, I guess, or people want you around and they want you to be on their team, uh, whether it's being their composer or being their assistant, being their additional writer. It's all about, you know, relationships. That's a really important aspect that's 
beyond writing music. Yes, totally. And you mentioned that you were doing assistantships for about a year, year and so. And I'm curious, how did that kind of transition into you becoming, you know, your own composer, starting to get your own work? Was that scary? Was it easy? How did that come up? Yeah, so I assisted a TV composer first for a year, and then I assisted another documentary composer for maybe three years. And during that time, I still knew my ultimate goal is to become my own composer. So while I was doing assistantships, I also made sure to kind of continue honing my own craft. Like I would make an effort to compose my own music at night when I have time, or I'll make an effort to go to film festivals or go to events because there's so many events here in LA, a huge variety of film festivals. And I just made an effort to go because I was always so curious about what's, what kind of content is out there what kind of new emerging voices that we can hear because there's so many indie directors, indie filmmakers, and they're all up and coming. And I'm, I was just so curious, like what is out there? So as I'm going to these events, I feel that I start to build my community. I start to meet people, start collaborating on a, a small scale. Like I started with short films, indie short films that circulated around some film festivals. And as I'm doing more and more of these indie short films, people recommend you and your community just kind of grows. Like, I kind of like to think of it as like a tree, like you first grow like a leaf, but then there are more and more branches that just branch out because as you are proving to others that you can deliver a score that it represents their story well, they will start recommending you. So then I start to have more and more of these opportunities as I'm still assisting at the same time. And then it got to a point where I felt comfortable where, okay, there's a lot of consistent work coming in. Let me try this. So I eventually after, yeah, around three, three, four year mark, I decided like, I want to try becoming freelance. So during that time too, I also helped other composers. Like I still was project-based, like assisting a lot of composers like Zach Robinson, who's uh, recently Emmy nominated composer. He got me on for, I started as like a score coordinator. Then I became his additional writer. So while I was doing my own project, I always found different ways to help support other composers as well. Because to me, that's always learning. That's like a way to just learn and broaden your network. And so I kind of did that for a lot of years. And when my short film, I scored uh, Skydance Animations for a short film. And when that came out, I guess it got a lot of people's attention and agents starting to call me. And I think that's where I'm like, okay, I'm comfortable now to, to completely be by my own. And, but it definitely took a while. It was a gradual process. Yeah. You mentioned something interesting where you said you're working as, you know, additional music and score coordinator. And I want to hear about all these different things that happen in the musical side of what you do that isn't just composer. Yeah, I, I definitely did a wide range of things. And like one was well, well, when you're being an assistant, you're helping the composer in a lot of different ways. Like you can either help them with their mock-up, make sure all the session is prepped. And so you can minimize the time the composer needs to set up and go on with their very demanding schedule. You can help them with revisions. You can help them with takedowns. Takedowns is kind of like, when sometimes composers do remote recording, maybe for just a cue or so for maybe a single violin player or a single guitar player. And the system will take the MIDI, which is what the composer, you know, writes into the computer. And you take the MIDI, you make a score, 
and then you send it to the player. So, so there's multiple different ways to support composers, or I can like print stems. That saves a lot of time for them too, like keeping everything organized, prepping the session to deliver to the soundstage. So those are all very different tasks, whatever the composer needs as an assistant, you can help out on. Or you can do like booth reading. Like sometimes like I will go with composers to their recording session and I will sit in the booth where the engineers are with the score, kind of act as a second ear and just make sure if there's anything I can catch or any last minute things that we need to fix. So that's an assistant. Score coordinator, honestly, is kind of that too. There's just a different terms. <laughs> I think like everyone uses different terms, but also a part of it, you can help the composers organize their schedule or set up meetings with their clients or take notes while they're at meetings. Basically, you're there to help them, like you're on their team. And I also did some orchestration for some documentaries for my composer friend as well. Like that's the same thing, taking their MIDI, putting it to the score. So I kind of did a wide range of things. I did mix prep, helping a mix engineer as well. I think I just really wanted to be a part of the filmmaking process in the music side, since that's the only thing I know how to do. <laughs> I just wanted to be part of it because I wanted to absorb all the experience of this knowledge and just want to see it through. So there's a really fun multitude of things that you can do if you're not composing you can also help in these ways to support in the music team. Mm. Now, I'm wondering, you're also working with directors, you're working with producers, you're working with showrunners, those sorts of people who aren't necessarily on the musical side of things. And I'm wondering, what have you found that they're looking for, considering there are tons of amazing composers in L.A., but there's also reasons that they're picking you over others. And I'm wondering what are they finding and what are they actually looking for when it comes to hiring a composer? Yeah, so I really learned, at least from my experience, that why I ended up working with the filmmakers that I ended up working with is because I really understand the story. I feel like a lot of people can write great music. Like there's so many talented individuals out there, but can you talk in their language? Can you uh, connect with them via their story? Because I feel like a lot of times you can hear so many fantastic reels, but do they actually represent the essence of the story or the characters or the message that the directors are trying to say? So I think a lot of times I really make an effort uh, in all of my collaborations to first start by asking like, oh, why are you telling the story? Like what is inspiring you? Like really understand the why. And that's before any musical talk. And for me, that's so important because then because I know all that, that kind of acts as my foundation to make any musical choices moving forward. And with that knowledge, I feel like your score would just kind of become more tailored to their story and their vision. It'll fit more as opposed to here's a piece of music that I wrote here. You can put it in your film. It's not as personable, I feel. So I think a lot of it, while having a really great music reel, of course, is extremely important. But a huge other skill is also people skill. How do you talk to your directors and filmmakers? Do you make them feel heard? Can you align with their filmmaking vision and music vision? Can you help support that? I think that's a huge, 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 huge part in getting hired, I think, is to make them feel heard. 
that you understand and you're curious about it. And I'm wondering then, how do you deal with things like revisions or rewrites, especially if it's something you feel really strongly for? It's something you think, oh, no, I think this works, but maybe they're not feeling it. How do you deal with that? Yeah, I mean, that sometimes happens. Most of the times when I get revisions, I end up agreeing with their revisions because, you know, like most directors already have their vision and they know like some if something is not working musically it evokes a certain emotion in them that it's just not right and it's like my job to figure out what is it that i'm doing musically that does not reflect the emotion they want to convey so most of the time it becomes like a puzzle and it's exciting for me because then i'm like okay what is not working and how can i make this work and how can i figure out what is it exactly that's not sitting right there are some times where I'm like, oh, I actually personally don't agree with this choice. But ultimately, it's their vision and it's their film. So I would put my ego aside and I would still do my best to address their note and make them feel heard. Because ultimately, we are the supporting role. We're there to assist. We're there to be a team player. So I, I don't feel too attached to any piece of music that I've written. I mean, of course, I will be like, oh, I really like this piece of music and I'm proud of it. But ultimately, when it's delivered to the filmmaker, to me, it's like, this is my voice adding to their voice. And whatever they decide, it's totally up to them creatively, you know? So I don't take it personally, like any notes that I receive. But a lot of times too, like I really do think while I'm addressing all the notes from the filmmakers, it does make my music better. Like I really believe that. Like so many times I'm like, wow, that's a great note. I totally understand what you mean. Let me change that. I end up liking it even more. So most of the time it's not an issue. A lot of it is just we have to learn to detach a little bit and not take things personally and we're there to help. Now there are a lot of composers listening who are thinking, man, this sounds awesome. That's so great for joy, but I could never, I could never make money off of this music thing. There's absolutely no way there are no opportunities. And I'm wondering what you tell them. I, I totally understand. And I feel you because the first few years, not going to lie, it's quite tough, especially when you first get out of college. And if you're an international student, I completely understand, you know, it's hard enough to being able to get a visa to work in the States, let alone being an entertainment visa. So that's, I, I really understand how difficult it is. And I do believe though, it does get better. I know it sounds like a fluff right now, but I kind of just went with my gut. Like I love what I do. So even if it's not composing, like not being the one that's composing for these big projects yet, I still very much enjoy the process of being on the music team and just try to take every experiences, no matter good or bad, while working with so many different people. It's just like learning experiences. And I kind of had a trust, I guess, in myself that like, I will figure it out. No matter what happens, I will end up doing something that I'm meant to do. I'll end up either writing music or not writing music. And that's okay, because I know I love what I do. And I am just going to try and see how I can fit into this really big industry. And there's so many different ways of working. I would say just continue on. I know it's tough though. The financial part was definitely very difficult and how I overcame that was really just taking up as many different roles as I can. And I think the way to do that is really just to meet people because a lot of the jobs when you first start out is really by word of mouth or by meeting someone who just so happens to need an assistant on this upcoming TV show is like being in the right place, right time. So it's a lot of hustling the first few years for sure. 
but I feel you. <laughs> I really feel you. It's it's tough, but I, I, I believe that you can do it. Nice. And kind of related to that with the up and coming composers that you meet, are there any mindsets or even hard skills or soft skills that you find are maybe lacking in a lot of people, or maybe they're just not noticing that they even need those skills that you're seeing? Oh, like the up and coming composers? Exactly. That's a good question. To me, I feel that it's better to that it's easier to connect with someone if I meet someone in person versus a cold email, I think. Or just having a phone call or even like a Zoom. Like I feel like that's always better than just email. <laughs> I might receive some emails that's just hi, if you need an additional writer, here's my music. <laughs> oh, okay. Like it feels like a mass email. And those I don't think really land that well or not that it doesn't land well it's just that you will get drowned out by so many other people who send the same mass email there's nothing personable to it i really think this industry is all about personality all about connection all about communication like we talked about not just with the filmmakers but also with your peers like and when you first start out and you want to help you want to start meeting other composers start helping them out and on their music team I really think it's essential to just be a team player and just be a nice person because people remember that. I can't stress that enough. <laughs> oh, and I do have some recommendations too, where if you're in LA or not in LA, New York, I think there's some different groups as well. Find your community because there's a bunch of different organizations that you can join online too. And they host a lot of Zoom mixers or Zoom events that you can join. But there are tons. Like for composers, there's a Composer Diversity Collective, which I'm on the board of. That's a great way to meet other composers. You can join that or like Alliance for Women Composers. Male or female is welcome for that too. Free to Work, Array Crew, SCLs. Society of Composers and Lyricists, there's a lot of events from that too. I, th I think these are great ways to just start and just when you attend mixers, try to meet someone, just one person or two, you know, that's enough to start building that connection and start meeting others. And you never know if they need help or if they can recommend you to someone. You never know, but it's not just to like get a job, but it's just like to get your feet wet and to practice that skill of making friends and networking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier that, you know, this takes a while. There's that initial setup, that wind up. And I think a lot of people going into any creative field will go to one networking event, leave without jobs and say, well, it's impossible. So I'm wondering about how many years it took for you and how many contacts contacted you maybe years later and said, oh, we want to hire you now. Yeah, many, many. Yeah, I'm glad you brought out that point. Not all networking events is going to get you a job. Like that's just a hard reality that you just have to accept because like I am quite a naturally shy person. There are so many events that I've been to in the beginning of my career where I'm like, I don't know who to talk to. I feel uncomfortable. I'm going to leave. There are tons of it like that too, but at least I tried. But there are also some that I went and just so happened I'm getting a snack at the snack bar and suddenly someone really nice was standing next to me and I started talking to them. There is stuff like that too. But I think it's really important to not have the expectation of, okay, tonight I'm going to go to this event and I'm getting a job. If, if that's the mindset that you have, I feel like you might get disappointed easy. And also it might come off a bit strong. Just take it really casually. They're like, okay, I'm just there to see if there's someone I vibe with. And if, if there isn't, that's totally okay. Then I'll try again next time. 
Yeah, that makes sense. And I'm wondering then with, you know, all these different people out there, especially in somewhere like L.A. where there's always people making stuff in general. Um, do you find that there is a lot of opportunity because, you know, we were talking before this even started of how a lot of composers think ah, I'm either composing for the biggest thing in the world or there's nothing. There's absolutely no in between. And I want to hear about how you kind of found your way getting work on things that, you know, not necessarily James Bond, but you're still doing great working on lots of different projects. Yeah, you know what? I really don't think any project is a small project. Like, I really don't view it that way. Like, if you are bound to a project, whether it's a, a short film, a, a short animation, a web series, or a documentary, or an ad, or informational piece, I don't know, which whichever, I really don't discriminate against each other. Like, because there are all ways for you to learn how to score. <laughs> I don't think there is any like, oh, I'm either scoring Lion King or I'm not a composer. That's not the case at all. Because like us, who are just starting out in our career, there are also a lot of filmmakers that are starting out in their careers. Like they're also starting to direct their first short film. So I think it's the perfect time for you and the first time director to just start making something together. And that's super exciting because you get to learn from each other and you get to learn from this experience. And the more quote unquote little projects or the more smaller scale projects that you're working on they all contribute to a bigger goal which is you want to be a composer and you want to write music for a living so i don't think any experience is a small experience because they all add up to a whole ultimate purpose so i start there and it's, it's so fun honestly like in the beginning i wrote so many music for short films from the first time directors and they're all like there's not too much of a budget for this but i'm shooting this with my friends and this is the first film that I've done and I'm like great let's cool let's do it and I, I always learn something from that experience mm -hmm. I'm sure it's the sort of situation where those people may go on to make a second thing or a third thing and they call you back yeah you never know mm -hmm. you really never know and a lot of times like these filmmakers I end up collaborating with multiple projects and that's the best thing you can ask for is like then you get to grow together Absolutely. Yeah, there seems to be a maybe not a common mindset, but definitely something that I've seen where new composers will be like, all right, I got to meet Steven Spielberg tomorrow when there's so many other people around them at a similar level that they could work with. Yeah, like I got asked this question one time, like, is there that one person that you think once you met them, I'm going to make it? I was like, honestly, I have a lot of people that I want to meet, of course, but I, I really don't believe there's this one person that everyone has to meet and that person is going to change your life. I really don't believe in that because I don't think anyone can. At least that's the way I like to view my life as a composer. Like I don't think it depends on that one single shot and that shot's going to make it or break it. Now you are making a living off of composing. You're living the dream essentially. And I'm curious now, what are you learning? Like, what's the next mountain to climb now that this is starting to churn? This, these gigs are coming in, everything's working out. All projects, I feel like, has its own set of challenges. And the beauty of being a composer is you get to score so many different genres with so many different sound palettes. And that's so fun to me. And that's always something I need to learn. Like, you know, you can write world music, orchestral music, synth music, synth hybrid, trailer, or you can do an action piece, an emotional piece, a comedy piece. Like there's always just so many things to learn. And I think every single project, there's always something that's challenging me. But at the same time, it's allowing me to 
grow as a composer. It adds to my skill set. It expands my real, expands my musical knowledge or musical language, I guess. So I'm always learning because there's just so many different content out there. It just it's endless. Yeah, and you just mentioned a bunch of musical styles just now, and I'm curious, how important is that versatility? Do you have to learn how to write every possible style before stepping into the professional realm? Do you learn as you go? How did that work for you? To me, I learned as I go. Like I was definitely more comfortable in the orchestral writing when I started out. That's my roots. I did learn all the music tech stuff in college, and I, I self-taught as I went. And I think it's definitely a good skill to have to be a very diverse composer because you have to kind of support whatever story that is given to you. So if a story calls for a Western score, you have to learn how to write a Western score, you know, or if this is a traditional Japanese music, then you have to do tons of research and really make sure that you are nailing it. But I don't believe you have to learn all that before you're allowed to start trying because a lot of it is you're learning along the way you're experimenting it's it's really cool though because then you really get to immerse yourself in every different genre and every different culture and i definitely learned more of the production side of things and more of the synth style as i'm further along in my career beautiful now one question i ask everyone who comes on the show as we start to wrap up is when you first started out, and that could be when you were first playing piano or improvising or whatever phase you were in, how did you kind of deem success? How did you define success for yourself? And how has that changed over time? And what is your definition of that now? Ooh, I love that question. When I was younger, when I first started improvising, if I feel that my emotions were heard at the time when I was improvising, because that was why I started this whole thing. Like I... I was feeling a lot of emotions. I needed an outlet. And if I can make something up that accompanies what I'm feeling at that moment and I feel heard, to me, I feel very comforted. So that was how I started out as when I was, you know, a very young composer then. And now when I have a career and I'm working on these projects with different studios and filmmakers, it kind of is still to me this that still is the success. It's like, if I can make other people feel heard, which is the filmmakers, the writers, they wrote, they poured their heart out into this story. They imagined these characters. If I can write a piece of music that makes them feel, oh, this is exactly what I was thinking, or this is what I envisioned my characters are going through at the moment. To me, I'm happy. I feel that like I've done my job that they feel understood and they feel that the story is being represented well by the score. And to me, that is success. I really do enjoy the collaboration process. And to me, that's the best part is to be able to connect with so many creative and talented storytellers. I, I really enjoy the writing music, but I also enjoy getting to know the filmmakers and being able to be in the same room with them and talk to them and connect with them on a human level. And I always leave every collaboration feeling really fulfilled. If I feel like I was able to help them tell their story, then I'm happy. I feel alive and I feel really grateful to be able to do this. Wonderful. Now, last question. Where can people find you? Website, social media, all that good stuff. Feel free to plug anything you want. Oh, yeah. Well, my last name is Niao, N-G-I-A-W. Sounds like a cat's meow. But that's my website, like joinyao.com. And I'm on social media, most of them. And they're all joinyao as well. So feel free to stay updated. Like I have some exciting projects coming up. 
next year, I believe, in Apple TV Plus, which I'm really, really excited about. So I will be announcing on there when the time comes. So I hope to connect with more of you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time today. I think people are going to get quite a bit out of this. Oh, yay. Thank you so much for having me. It was so much fun. <laughs> That's the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for listening as always. And considering I work in the world of video game, music, and sound, and so many people are always asking me how they break into that field, I have a newsletter set up for you. So if you want to learn how to make music and sound effects for video games and actually be paid to do it, just go to bit.ly forward slash sound biz pod sound b-i-z pod and that newsletter will set you up with two free courses and a bunch of free ebooks and even sound effects they'll get you set up and teach you how to work in the world of video game music and sound thanks so much and i'll see you next time and if you're looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to, this podcast is actually a part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. So if you want to check those out, hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.